Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for the ways that you uh, have worked uh, through your word, through the years. We just pray now that as we open your word, you would be faithful to continue to honor the promise that you've packed into that word, that it would not return to you void, but will accomplish the purposes for which you intended. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you have a favorite magazine. You remember magazines, right? They'd send them to you in the mail and they'd be printed things and you'd open them up and read them. Uh, some of you might have you know, t- taken them to the bathroom to read them there. We won't inquire about your bathroom reading habits this morning. Um, but back in the day, magazines were almost ex- were exclusively in print form. Now, of course, you can get them online and, and, uh, and mangle your way through the content without any concept of what the organizing principle was for that particular issue. Um, I have uh, encountered a couple of magazines along the way that I found interesting. Um, when I was in Texas, I was introduced to Southern Living Magazine. Anybody know Southern Living Magazine? Yeah. Um, lots of really good recipes in there. But my favorite part of Southern Living Magazine was they had this contest to find the hidden toothpick. Do you remember this contest? I never found the stinking toothpick in the magazine. It was annoying, i got to say. Then, when I went to New England, I was introduced to Yankee Magazine. And uh, what was fun about Yankee Magazine was they always had these ads for these weird kinds of off-the-wall kinds of things. But one of the things that was advertised in Yankee Magazine one time was Gorilla Glue. Have you heard of Gorilla Glue? Yeah. It was advertised as the toughest glue on planet Earth. There might be a competitor on Mars or Venus, but we don't know about that yet. But right now, on the planet Earth, apparently Gorilla Glue is the toughest glue. It's, 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 uh, it's so bonding that it provides a dynamic, uh, this side of heaven kind of permanent condition. It's a polyurethane adhesive. It was developed in Europe. It becomes sticky because of a reaction between the polyurethane, oxygen, and water, which is the catalyst. When I was in New England, I was driving around a beat-up Honda Accord, and um, some friends of mine, and I'll put that word in quotation marks, put on the back of this Honda Accord a bumper sticker, which they, they, they mounted with Gorilla Glue. It was a huge bumper sticker. It said, Hug This Man. I worked very hard to try to get that bumper sticker off of my car and I've got to say, Gorilla Glue, man, those people know what they're talking about. Anyway, in fact, trying to peel the bumper sticker off, I think I actually removed some of the metal from the bumper instead of the bumper sticker itself. The thing about Gorilla Glue is, though, it's designed to be a tight adhesive bond, which is something, by the way, that we need in the body of Christ. Generally speaking, and specifically speaking, in a local fellowship, a local Christian fellowship, we need tight, tight bonding. What is it, what is it that serves as the catalyst for that bonding? Biblical communication is the catalyst for the bonding of the local fellowship together around Jesus. Now, we can be assured that God is at work to protect the bonds of Christian unity. After all, the church was His idea. Unity in the church was His idea. 
John chapter 17, verse 23. May they, believers in Jesus, be brought to complete unity to let the world know that the Father has sent me. Do you see it? One of the markers to people who do not believe in Jesus is the coming together in unity of the people who do believe in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, There is one body and one spirit. Now, the world is littered with multiple denominations of Christianity. You don't have to go far in this very town to see different expressions of Christian faith. But at the core of it is supposed to be, I'm not saying it always is, but it's supposed to be this notion of one body and one spirit fueling unity. And then uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 said, The church's work is so important that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the work that God has planned for the church to do. But, so, God has created the unity of the church. He superintends this thing he calls unity. It's his desire that this unity would express to the world the supernatural power that's available to the church in Christ. And yet, and yet, you and I, we have a significant role to play in sustaining this unity. And that role is specifically realized through this notion of biblical communication. Now, sometimes, 2020 anyone, sometimes we are so influenced by the cultural voices that we forget and we slip into the communication patterns of the world. This has happened over and over and over and over again over the last year, 16 months or so. Over and over again. We forget that we're called by the name of Jesus and designed to express our communication in biblical terms and very quickly adopt patterns of communication around the world. I am on Twitter. Mostly I'm on there because I follow a few people who um, have influential voices in Christian circles, but I am so amazed by the power of the, yes, I will say it, twits on Twitter to say incredibly hurtful and harmful things without even thinking about it. I mean, and I'm following Christian people, mostly. When we slip into the communication patterns of the world, we place the unity of the fellowship of Jesus Christ at risk. And oh, by the way, when those people who are not believers in Jesus look in at these Christian people who are talking smack about each other, they go, you got to be kidding me. I can get that, you know, anywhere. So our task, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, is to be consistently transformed, that is changed by the renewing of our minds as we rest in God's power and God's word. Let his word impact our lives in such a way that we result in an obedient response to his call to communicate biblically. So, what is the biblical communication pattern? What is this gorilla glue? I'm going to pick out one verse, excuse me, one phrase from one verse in the Bible. Because in this one phrase, from this one verse in the Bible, we have everything we really need to know about biblical communication. Yes, there's lots of other good things said in the Bible about this, but we can get what we need to know from this one phrase in this one verse. Here's the verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. 
Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. This word that begins this passage, this verse, instead, is a contrast word. Because what the Apostle Paul has described before is trash-talking immaturity. And now what he's going to describe is what mature believers in Jesus are supposed to sound like when they communicate. So what's the one phrase in this one verse? Speaking the truth in love. Smack in the middle of a passage on spiritual unity and maturity, Paul gives the speech paradigm for Christian believers. All places, all times, all circumstances, all conversations, speaking the truth in love. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to pull this verse apart a little bit so that you and I, we can see our role as catalysts in maintaining this tight bond that God has in mind for the church, which is, by the way, particularly important as a church moves into the kind of next steps that this church is going to do. Let me tell you, I've done this once or twice or three or four or half a dozen times. These interim periods, these transition periods, these can become uh, hot, hot, uh, hotbed, thank you, (laughs) hotbeds of immature, unhelpful communication. It is so easy for the evil one to work his way in and elevate people's preferences. And have people say, well, I think this, and I think that, and well, this is what I want, and this is what you want, and before you know it, it's a disaster. But if this verse today that we're going to pull apart can be kind of, become kind of the mantra for communication, then God smiles. So, pulling this verse apart. First, there is the verb. Now, I know how much you love it when we do grammar discussions on Sunday mornings. So we're going to do a little grammar here. This is the verb, speaking. Alethuantes is the Greek verb here. It is a present active participle. Grammatically, what does that mean? Wake up. Grammatically, what does that mean? It means this is ongoing action. Speaking is ongoing action. That's the first component of this first part of this verse. We have to be in the body of Christ committed to the activity of communicating in our church relationships. The totality of the unity in fellowship is the proper object of biblical communication. We must speak. Communication is hard work, but we have to do it. Sometimes we get tired or we retreat or we assume that people think that uh, we assume that people know what, the, what, the, what other people are thinking, and sometimes we think people know what we're thinking. And, and man, life is not a cartoon, right? Now, it is not true that I get all of my theology from cartoons. Not true. But one of the advantages of cartoons is, right, you've seen these things, these little thought balloons. The person's not saying a word, but you know what they're thinking because there's the little thought balloon floating over their heads. We don't have thought balloons floating over our heads. If we did, half of the ones out there this morning would be, I really want to get to lunch now. Could you get done? 
So we have to speak. But the problem is, when we speak, we have to discern a biblical balance between in what we say, both in the quality of what we say and in the quantity of what we say. When I was pastoring in Colorado, a woman in our church needed a ride to Denver International Airport, which from Woodland Park, Colorado, is a two-hour ride. This woman got in the car and talked the entire way from Woodland Park to the Denver airport. Two solid hours of uninterrupted speaking. She spoke and asked questions but didn't leave space for an answer. She just kept right on going for two stinking hours. When I left her at the airport, I drove to the Denver Seminary Library and I sat in the quiet for four hours just to recover. (laughs) Thomas Kempis said in the imitation of Christ, many men, and by the way women, many men say many things and therefore little faith is put in them. Do you hear it? Sometimes we ramble on so much and we say so much that eventually it's just noise. You remember Charlie Brown and his teacher, right? Wah, 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 wah. So there's a caution built into James chapter 1, verse 19, which is this caution. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because Christian speech is supposed to be thoughtful dialogue, not rambling monologue. But the caution doesn't negate the need to speak. It just requires that we exercise discernment when we speak. So, how do we do that? If we're supposed to speak, if we're supposed to be regularly communicating, what do we, what do, we do to temper our speech? Well, the second and third parts of this little piece of this verse help us with that. The second part is, what do we speak? We speak the truth. Truth is the content of our communication. And this is a very, very particular word in the original language. In church life, in any relationship, in any conversation, we do not always know the complete truth. We may think we do, but we don't. Usually we get what The Apostle Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, as a poor reflection. Because when we're talking to somebody, there's always more going on in their hearts and minds than we will ever know. There's a great baseball movie called A League of Their Own. It's about the women's professional baseball league that was launched during World War II because all the guys were off, you know, fighting the war. And Tom Hanks plays the coach of this team. And there's an episode where uh, a play had been executed poorly and uh, and one of the women on the team starts crying. And Tom Hanks has this classic line. He says, there's no crying in baseball. You wanna bet? When your team doesn't make it? or your team isn't doing as well as you want it to do, or you have one of those heartbreaking moments in the middle of a World Series, I guarantee you there's crying in baseball. 
And then when I was a basic training squadron commander, you know, I was just getting kind of settled into the role a little bit. And you know this about basic training. If you've seen any film anywhere, anytime, you know it's supposed to be constantly filled with these high-volume, one-sided conversations where the drill instructor or the training instructor has taken down this trainee because they had messed up somehow. And, and, uh, and I was watching all this happen for a while. And, uh, so, you know, sometimes you absorb what's going on around you when you really shouldn't absorb what's going on around you, by the way, right? And so I was uh, walking by this basic trainee, and just, he, he was standing there and at attention, but tears just streaming down his face. And I walked up to him, got right in his face. This was back before masks and before COVID. I got right in his face. I said, what are you crying about? This is the Air Force. We don't cry. He said, sir, they just told me my dad died. There's always more going on than we know from the simple presentation of information that we see and that we hear. And this is one of the reasons why Communication is so hard. We have to fight the presumption that we know, in the words of the courtroom, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There's only one who knows the entire truth in any situation. And trust me, that's God, and we are not Him. So we need to work hard to make sure that when we speak, we speak the truth. We need to be cautious we need to be questioning. We need to be willing to say things like, help me understand where it is you're coming from because I'm not quite getting it. Instead of walking up, inserting ourselves in conversations with the presumption that we know everything there is to know about everything that's going on. Even if we think we have all the facts, human beings are not the sum total of a construct of facts. Human beings are body and spirit. So there's always more going on in somebody's internal condition of their heart and spirit than you and I will ever, ever know. Sometimes we fall into an opinion poll mentality. For example, I'm wearing a new shirt today. Pastor Laura had attempted to make sure that my access to these kinds of shirts was limited for a time by packing them all and sending them all off to Colorado. But I said, sweetheart, Amazon delivers. And they did. And so I have my new shirt here, which I'm going to take with me to Colorado, sweetie. And um, I have matched my new shirt with a pair of socks that I've acquired recently. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Embrace the color. Horton, here's a who. I mean, Horton, here's a who. How, could, how, better, how much better could it be? So, if we took an opinion poll this morning, some of you would say, I'm going to say you'd like my shirt. How many of you do not like my shirt? We will pray for you people. <laughs> Opinion polls are interesting things, aren't they? I read recently 
that some organization, it's the, it's the Hill-Harris X organization, released a poll that said most people don't trust opinion polls. <laughs> Are you just confused about that as I am? They took a poll of people and asked them whether they trusted opinion polls. Most of the people said no, and they published the results of the poll, which said that they don't trust opinion polls. I'm confused, I've got to say. But this world is not designed to be functioning on the basis of opinion polls. We all have opinions. Sometimes we have a couple of opinions. And it's true that sometimes those opinions are like armpits. We have a couple, and they often just stink. So, we have to speak. We have to speak the content that is truth. But there is one more element in this little phrase, in this one verse, that clarifies the essence of biblical communication. Here's the third component. We speak the truth in love. Love is the manner of our communication. It's, it's the way that we speak. When I went to Zambia the first time, people in Zambia speak English because it's the language of commerce. And they were a former colony of the British Empire, and that's the language that became the language of commerce there. There's a bunch of different tribal languages there, but everybody speaks English. But the second I opened my mouth to speak the English language to these people who also spoke English, they knew instantly I was an American. They knew it because of my accent. I was speaking the same words they were speaking, but I was speaking them in a particular way, in a particular manner, with a particular accent. Well, here it is, folks. Love is the accent in which Believers in Jesus speak the truth. Speaking the truth in love. That's how we do it. And this love here, by the way, is that New Testament Bible word for love. We've talked about this before. This is the agape love. This is love that chooses the best interests of the other person. This is love that makes a decision in the mind. This is not, oh, my heart is bitter, patter, falling in love, kind of love. No, that's not it. This is the love that says, I, to the best of my ability, think that this person's best interests is served in a particular way. That's how I'm going to speak. Speaking the truth in love. Using our Holy Spirit-guided minds to make decisions to act, in this case, to speak in that other person's best interests. This automatically eliminates selfish, personal agenda-driven, angry, critical speech and replaces it with graceful speech. In the Bible community, if the manner of our speech or the accent of our speech is wrong, if we have not love when we speak, then we are wrong. And there is a two-word prescription to handle this particular problem. The two-word prescription is, shut up. (laughs) How do we know if we're speaking the truth in love? How do we know? The results uh, come through uh, in the context of this one verse in Ephesians 4.15. The Apostle Paul says we will help people grow. Grow up become maturity 
mature in Jesus Christ. That's how we know. If our words consistently have impact that help them grow in their relationship with Jesus, that's how we know if we're speaking the truth in love. That's how we know. Two thousand and five, July twenty sixth. Matt Clement was pitching for the Boston Red Sox. Carl Crawford was playing for the Tampa Bay Rays at the time. Carl Crawford hit a line drive. This baseball was clocked at traveling over a hundred miles an hour. Carl Crawford hit this line drive. It hit Matt Clement in the head and knocked him down. If we're not careful, that's exactly what our words do to the spirits of other people. They hit them in the head and they knock them down. But if we're speaking the truth in love, we go a long, long way towards cementing the bonds of fellowship and sustaining this unity that God has created in the body of Christ. And as I said before, this is particularly important. At this season in the life of this church, we have to be people, and you're going to have to be people who speak the truth in love, and if you can't speak the truth in love, man, shut up. Pray with me.